Amen. Anybody thankful for the cross this morning? All right. So Genesis 3 this morning, first couple pages of your Bible. The next few weeks, we're going to be talking about a special delivery, and in particular, a special deliverer. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the promise of His coming. And then next week, we'll be in Matthew 1 talking about the pathway, how Jesus got here. We'll talk about the particulars. And then the Sunday of Christmas, we'll talk about the, the, the package delivered. And uh, we'll celebrate the coming of Jesus. Uh, Old Testament is full of prophecies about the coming Messiah, Redeemer, Savior, Deliverer. And uh, we'll be talking about some of those this morning. Uh, most of those prophecies were written down at least 500 years before Jesus was born. And so it was no accident. It certainly wasn't a coincidence. Uh, I used to love to study apologetics. And uh, Lee Strobel has a book called The, the Case for Christ. And uh, he points out that if the probability of just eight events happening, uh, being fulfilled... They were written down 500 years earlier, and the, the possibility of just eight of them uh, being fulfilled is a one chance in a hundred million billion. And that's a big number. That's, that's millions of times more than the number of people who's ever walked on the, the earth. And then he says, uh, he quotes mathematician Peter Stoner, who calculated the, prop, the probability of fulfilling 48 prophecies. We have more than that in the Old Testament, but the probability of fulfilling 48 prophecies was one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. That's a whole lot of trillions. And I don't even know how you could write that number, but that's what it says on page 246 of his book. So you can look that up. But that just assures me that this is the inspired Word of God and that it is completely trustworthy. And there's no way that man could have made this up. And so this morning we're going to see the first prophecy in the Bible that pointed to the coming of the one who would deliver us from our sins. And so Genesis 3.15, I'll just let you stand up for just a moment. We'll honor the reading of this verse, the promise of his coming. Uh, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Father, Thank you that Jesus would come and that he would take care of business uh, in regards to Satan, that he would die and pay our debt, that he would be raised from the dead and crush Satan's head. We pray this morning we could understand how all that took place, and we pray that uh, you'll be glorified and that you'll draw all men and women to you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 15 is the first promise given after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit there in the Garden of Eden. And uh, I believe it's also the first gospel sermon ever preached on the face of the earth. And now, uh, who preached the first gospel message? Well, God did. And some might say, well, why do you call this the gospel? Because it contains the earliest promise of redemption in the Bible. And I want you to know this verse is so important that I believe that everything else in the scriptures flow from this one verse. It's, it's kind of like how the, the acorn holds the, the mighty oak tree. Uh, you plant it and up comes this. Well, this verse is, is kind of like that. Uh, the great English preacher Charles Simeon called this verse the sum and summary of the whole Bible. Well, that's a pretty big statement, the sum and summary of the whole Bible. Martin Luther said, verse 15, embraces and comprehends within itself everything noble and glorious 
that is to be found anywhere in the Scriptures. And so this is an amazing verse. What we see is that God's grace shines through the curse upon Satan. Matter of fact, if we were to outline uh, the Bible, if someone says, well, tell me the, the big points of the Bible, I don't have time to read that thing. If I was going to just give you a four-point outline for the whole Bible, the first point would be creation. You read about that in Genesis 1-2. There was nothing. God spoke. Everything came into existence. And so that's creation. That's the first couple chapters. And then the second point would be the fall. Uh, in Genesis 3-6, uh, it says that she took of the fruit and ate it, and she gave it to uh, some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. That's, that's the fall. That's when sin came into the world. That's, that's Genesis 3. And then really, the, from Genesis 3:15 all the way to, to Revelation chapter 20 is, is redemption. It is God showing forth His way to redeem us from our sins. And so really, from Genesis, this the second page of my Bible all the way to the second to the last page is redemption. And then Revelation 21 and 22 is, is recreation or, or renewal or all things become new. And so the background for, for Genesis 3.15, and you all are familiar with this, uh, this is at the beginning of human history. And uh, if you remember in chapter 2, uh, God said uh, he took the man in verse 15 and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may eat of every tree in the garden. Verse 17, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so, eat anything you want to, except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. And then we know when we get to verse 6 of chapter 3, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired more to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so they ate of what God told them not to. Sin entered into paradise. The next thing you know, they're trying to, to hide from God. Uh, you notice down in verse uh, 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Uh, they go and try to hide themselves. Verse 10, and he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I, I was afraid because I was naked, and I, I hid myself. And, and those are just the results of sin. We, we decide to do it our way instead of God's way, and, and the next thing you know, Adam and Eve are trying to hide from God. Uh, then in verse 12, uh, Adam throws Eve under the bus, in a sense. Uh, what is it you've done in verse 11, and, and the man said, the woman whom you gave to me uh, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. It was the woman's fault, and uh, man, we know that's mostly the case, uh, but if you remember back in chapter 2, man, he's all amazed. Man, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Well, I'm going to call her woman, and, and he was excited about God creating woman, and now it's the woman who made me do it, and, and then he kind of even blames God. He says, the, the woman you gave me. In other words, things were going pretty good until you brought her along. And, and, uh, and so, God, it's kind of her fault, and it's kind of your fault. And then God questions the woman in verse 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so that's the old devil made me do it excuse. And so, you know, we haven't changed much in all these years, have we? We're always trying to find someone or someone to blame. We very seldom just say, I did it. I'm wrong. I sinned. We confess that. We, we're not very good at that. And so what we find early on in the Scriptures is, is this truth that, that left to ourselves, 
man or woman, uh, we will disobey. Even in paradise, even when everything was perfect, uh, man, woman decided to do it their way. And so they're guilty, we're guilty, we're sinners, and unless our sin is dealt with, we sing about the cross, unless our sin is dealt with at the cross, we will stand guilty before a holy God. And so we can have all the excuses we want, they're not going to matter, we are guilty. And the results of the fall is just the glorious garden is not so beautiful, and sin ruins everything. It ruins everything even today in our lives and our relationships, and, and the enemy keeps lying to us, and we keep believing him, and sin ruins everything. And Satan alone is happy after the fall. Now, you just think about that. He, Satan failed in heaven to get God's glory. And so you can read about it in Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and other places that, that God cast Satan out of heaven. Revelation 12, 4 indicates that he took a third of the angels with him. And so he comes here to the earth and he decides that he will try to steal God's glory here on earth. And, uh, you know, he's feeling pretty good in, in Genesis chapter 3 because he has deceived and enticed. Listen, there's only two on the earth. There's Adam and Eve. And so he's two for two in his um, I mean, he got two people to follow him instead of God. And so he was thinking, I have won the devotion of humanity. And so what we find in Genesis 3 is Satan's kind of licking his chops and he's rubbing his, his hands and he's thinking, I got my demons. And uh, now humanity has joined me in this fight against God. And listen, church, we know that Satan's delight is short-lived. Amen. And so we get to verse 14 and and the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And so God curses the serpent. Now, we, we don't know what this serpent looked like uh, before the judgment. Uh, it, some believe that he's probably the most beautiful creature on the planet. He, he might have been up. We don't know those things, but we suspect he was splendid above all. And yet God would curse him there in verse 14. He's accursed above all the other animals. The serpent will crawl on his belly forever. He'll eat the dust all the days of his life. That was the cursing on the natural serpent. Uh, but then in verse 15 comes this, this judgment, this cursing upon uh, the supernatural Satan. And uh, church, one of the things I love to preach about is the demise of Satan. Uh, I like reminding him of his future. Uh, we have a future in Christ, and he has a future. Jonathan Edwards uh, said, Satan is the greatest blockhead the world has ever known, to which the church says, Amen, you blockhead. Amen. So the first thing, just three points this morning, real simple, just one verse, three points. The first one is the battle was announced. The battle. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That word enmity means uh, battle. It means war, hostility, animosity. Uh, God put this conflict between uh, Satan and the woman and her descendants for all eternity. You see, here's what happened. By eating the fruit, Eve really became a friend of Satan and an enemy of God. Because he followed Satan, she followed Satan over the leadership that God had provided. Verse 15, God says, I will put this enmity, this animosity between you and the woman. 
And so God says, I'm going to change her allegiance. And she's going to become my friend. And Satan, she's going to become your enemy. Now, how all that's going to happen is that God is going to convert Eve. He's going to change her heart. And uh, that's the first glimmer of the gospel because in the gospel there is this transformation of the heart. And so in verse 15 is this first indication of salvation. And this is kind of deep, but this is, after studying this verse, uh, I better understand Luther's claim that all the, the, of God's purposes can be found in this verse. I mean, the great doctrines of regeneration and new birth and transformation and redemption and conversion, forgiveness, grace, election, all those are found in this verse. I mean, just think about the grace in verse 15. In chapter 2, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And yet in verse 15, he's offering life to her. And so it's amazing that the gospel was first not, the first is not given in a promise to man, but the gospel is first given in a curse, a judgment upon Satan. And we know that since the, the fall, all of creation has groaned, uh, Romans says, with these, these birth pains to be redeemed. I want you to think about this. Every crime, every war, every injustice, Every evil is a result of this enmity between Satan and man. It's a real battle. There's a battle between good and evil, a battle between righteousness and worldliness. And you're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. You, there's no middle ground. You're either on God's side or you're on, Jesus said, if you're for me, you, if you're not for me, you're against me. And so this battle was announced after the fall. Uh, now, some of you are thinking, well, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, keep reading in verse 15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring or seed and her offspring or seed. And so in this verse, secondly, the babe is announced. The baby, baby Jesus. You see, in the Hebrew, the word seed refers to the generations yet unborn that would trace their heritage back to Eve. And so seed in some translations, offspring in the ESV, ultimately is speaking of the coming of our Savior. And so we could say that Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of Christmas in the entire Bible. Now you might miss it because Jesus' name is not in the text, but he's there nonetheless. Jesus is the seed of the woman who would one day make his entrance into this world in a most unlikely fashion. Now, it's interesting in the Hebrew uh, because the male is considered the one who has the seed. And so you'll read genealogies, and it's always through the male. Children are normally referred to as the seed or the offspring of the father. But in verse 15, God says, her seed. Now, why is it? And I think it's because God is predicting the virgin birth of Jesus. You see, when Christ was born, he was the seed of the woman because he had no male seed. He had no earthly father, did he? And so Jesus was the seed of the woman. And he didn't come in the usual way. He came by a miraculous virgin birth. Isaiah 7, 14, you're all familiar with this. You shall be blessed above all peoples. Oh, that's Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. Let me get over here to Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14. Now, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Someone has said that when God wanted to save the world, he didn't send a committee, he sent his son. When God wanted to say, I love you, he wrapped his love note in swaddling clothes. When God wanted to crush Satan, he started in a stable in Bethlehem. And so I think about this. When Jesus was born, the, the anger of Satan reached a, a boiling point. Uh, he was steamed. I, I think Satan understood who this child was. And, and uh, if you remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Satan moved Herod to, to kill all the babies two years and, and under. He, he wanted to kill the Christ child. Uh, when Jesus began his public ministry, Satan immediately goes up there and tries to tempt Jesus, and he offers him the world. He offers him all kinds of things because he wants Jesus to fall. And even in the ministry, uh, when Jesus is, is doing ministry, Satan is always enticing people. Sometimes they pick up stones to stone him. Sometimes they, they try to push him over the, the edge of a cliff. Sometimes they, he sends officers to arrest him. And, and Satan is always trying to incite the leaders against Jesus. He tries everything, and Jesus always escapes. And the reason that he always escapes is he says in, in John 10, 18, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. That, that authority, that charge I've been given by my Father. And so, Satan, you can do whatever you want to, but you can't take my life from me. And so all the scheming of Satan was of no avail. And even today, church, Satan is going all out and trying to persecute and silence Christians. Today, Monday, while I was working on, on this message, I, I, I read an article. It said, Christian persecution spikes in Hindu nationalist India. And uh, this week, I, I, I read more about some of the persecution in China, and they're burning some of the churches. And Satan is going all out to try to silence Christians and, and to, to scare people. And you go to places like India and Haiti, and, and you quickly become aware of the darkness around you. And it's in the midst of that darkness that the gospel shines the brightest. And there's great power in the gospel. I, I've seen the gospel shine in darkest places in the world, and, and people hear the good news and are saved. That, that's the power of the gospel. And church, that's why I've really beat this Lottie Moon Christmas offering drum so much. Times are urgent, and there's a real spiritual battle for the souls of people all around the world, and I just believe that Jesus is worthy of praise from people all over the world. And we have missionaries, and we have more that could go, and we've got to send them so they can take this good news to the nations. And uh, I'm going to just remind you again in January, I'm going to ask everybody to identify someone who's your one, someone that you'll pray for next year, someone that you'll try to have an opportunity to share the gospel with because we want people to, we want people to be saved here in Burlington and, and we want people to save all the way to Bangalore, India and everywhere in between. Uh, we want Christ to be exalted. And so here in Genesis 3.15, the deliverer was announced. And Satan says, I'm going to send uh, a seed of woman. And guess what? There's going to be a bruising. A bruising. That's the third point. The bruising was announced. God says to Satan, you shall bruise his heel. Now, anybody ever have a bruised heel in here? Or a heel spur? You, you know, that, that can be painful. And uh, it'll slow you down, but it won't kill you, will it? Uh, you can live with heel problems, even though you have to hobble around a little bit. And so when Christ died on the cross, in a sense, Satan bruised his heel. And they drove stakes through his hands and through his feet, his, his heels. And, and, and so we could say that Satan bruised his heel, but not his head. 
And, and Satan delivered a terrible blow to Jesus on that Good Friday. And he actually, I think, thought that he was delivering a knockout punch. And church, we know that he was wrong. All he did was strike Jesus on the heel. And as painful as it was, that suffering was nothing to be compared to what Jesus did to Satan. And so all the way back in the beginning, God said to Satan, the seed of the woman that virgin-born baby who's coming in a manger is going to bruise, or it could be translated, crush your head. Now, which would you rather have, a bruised heel or a bruised head? Heel. I would. And so on the cross, Satan bruised Jesus' heel. And Jesus was out of commission for a few days, three in particular, uh, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he delivered a crushing blow to Satan. He crushed his head. And it was payback time for the fall. And victory belonged to the seed of the woman. Now, some people say, well, if Satan has been crushed, why does he seem to be doing so much evil 2,000 years later? And that's a good question. Listen, the truth is, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth at the cross, Satan was judged and his sentence was pronounced. But in the meantime, he is free to roam upon the earth waiting his final destiny. And I just believe that his destructive powers are, uh, on earth are going to grow even greater in the last days. And uh, we're going to see him raise his ugly head. But listen, the Bible uh, tells us that one day the Lord's going to descend with a shout and all are going to stand before him, and Satan himself will stand before Jesus, and he will have his head crushed forever. Now listen, Satan shoots his fiery darts. He hits some of my friends sometimes. He's taking some of my friends out of ministry sometimes. But I want that blockhead to know something. The battle is over, and he gets slammed. Amen? And listen, if you're following him, you're going to get the same thing. You're going to get everlasting destruction in hell. You have to decide, am I going to follow Satan or am I going to follow Jesus? Let me share a couple things about Jesus. He, he didn't come to live a life of luxury. Uh, he was born to a poor teenage couple. Uh, he knew hard times. Uh, in his, when he began his ministry, he suffered for doing the will of God. And so will we, church. Jesus bore the agony of the cross. And, and what we realize is that there are few victories without some wounds. And the Bible tells us that there will be struggles in this life. Second Peter 1.8, Peter says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel. And so there will always be these conflicts between light and darkness, just as Satan has his seed. And we've seen his seed throughout scriptures. We, we see Cain killing Abel. We see Ishmael fighting against uh, Isaac. We, we see the seed of Satan. We follow the lines of those seeds. And Satan always has his seed. Listen, uh, God always has his seed. And he's always raising up men and women who will carry on the battle. And yes, it's a battle. And often we find ourselves, we get through one struggle and we're right back in the middle of another struggle. Listen, it's a battlefield. And so we might as well stand and fight. And so there is no victory without some wounding. There's very little progress without a lot of pain in the process. Hebrews 2.14 is speaking of Jesus. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. 
And so Jesus' death and resurrection clearly fulfilled this prophecy in Genesis 3.15. And so this morning, God sent his son, born of a woman, to overturn the curse of the fall. And he did that on the cross. And what we see is the bruised and broken Messiah destroyed the power of death and the devil. So Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. The results of the fall was death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I want you to know Jesus Christ was a gift from God, a gift that was wrapped all the way back in Genesis 3.15, a gift that's offered to you today. And uh, it's a gift that's freely given, but it, but it must be received. I want you to know this morning that Jesus was bruised and broken for you. Isaiah 53, 6, he was bruised for our iniquities. Uh, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. He, he bore all that, all the cross, for our sake, that he might save us. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he smashed Satan, and he provided a way for you and I to experience forgiveness, eternal life. He offers that to us. It's, it's available to all but it's not automatic. Listen, you must receive him into your life. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so this morning, will you receive Jesus? Let me close with this short poem about Jesus. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. He is God. He is faithful. I am his, and he is mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for, for Jesus because we were dead in our sins and he came to our rescue. And on the cross, he paid for my sins. On the third day, he walked out of that tomb in victory. He crushed the head of the serpent. He has victory forever. Lord, thank you that you offer this gift to those who will believe upon you, who will receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray this morning that there might be some here that will trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray you would help us all to understand we're either on Satan's side, we're either a friend of Satan or we're a friend of Jesus. There's no middle ground this morning. I pray that some would receive Christ today and be saved. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you, will you stand this morning? Just a kind of the first gospel presentation this morning. I just want to invite you to receive Jesus. And uh, at the end of that poem, it said, He is mine, and I am His. And if you're here this morning, and you can't say that He's yours, and you're His. I just want to invite you to trust in Jesus this morning. The Lord's Supper is on the tables. If you'd like to celebrate that this morning, we invite you to do that. You respond this morning.